God of all, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your word in this place. We pray that you would help us to make it the center point of our lives, that you would open us up to be your hands and your feet as a response to what it is that we hear you say today. Amen. Our reading from the Hebrew Scriptures this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 5. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David." Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And as we wrap up our summer series in the Acts of the Apostles, we will finish with the very last portion of the book of Acts. We'll be reading from chapter 28, verses 17 through 31. After three days, he, Paul, called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had, not, or though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appear to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, They came to him in his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, Through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. 
For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. There is a now fairly well-known video used to study something called inattentional blindness, which is just a fancy term to say that our poor little brains have trouble paying attention to more than one thing at a time. And sometimes they just ignore the things that don't make sense or are unexpected or that don't fit into our preconceived notions of what the situation should be. In this video, there are about half a dozen people with a basketball. I apologize if you haven't seen this before. I'm about to spoil it. (laughs) There are about a half a dozen people with a basketball, and half of them are wearing white, and half of them are wearing black. The viewers are asked to count how many times the team in white passes the ball. And at the end, the narrator announces that the correct answer is 15. But, the narrator asks... Did you notice the gorilla? The video backs up and replays a section in slow motion, and sure enough, a guy in a gorilla suit walked right through the middle of the game, mugged for the camera, and continued back off of the screen. And most people watching that video the first time do not see the gorilla. I surely did not see that gorilla the first time, and I was blown away. Because you're too busy counting how many times the team in white passes the basketball, so focused on the task at hand that a man in a gorilla suit goes right by without being noticed. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but not perceive. Paul is talking to these Jewish leaders in Rome, where he has been taken under house arrest because of his appeal to Caesar. And he's telling them that essentially there are those who are associated with the religion for no other reason than to be part of the in-crowd. And they have gotten it so ingrained in their minds. So busy are they following the rules and protecting their squeaky clean club of rule followers, protecting all of their rules and regulations and traditions and guidelines that they completely miss it when the Messiah walks right through the room and mugs at the camera, so to speak. So God goes elsewhere. The Jewish leaders in Rome refused to acknowledge what God was doing in the world, so God went and worked through somebody else, through the Gentiles in this case. Unlike the video viewers who are shown a rewind of the video and allowed to look out for the gorilla, the ones who say, oh my goodness, there really is a gorilla. Unlike them, these people's hearts have been so dulled that they never see the path of God. Paul clearly states here that lukewarm faith does not matter. Sorta faith doesn't sorta matter. 
When Paul goes about preaching with boldness and without hindrance in this rather abrupt end to the dynamic book of Acts, that means he's leaving behind those who refuse to notice the gorilla because they are too focused on the basketball. He sets aside the hindrance of being stuck in routine. He sets aside any traditions that are getting in the way. There used to be a time in our culture when most good citizens were good citizens by joining the Rotary Club, the Country Club, other local civic and ethnic organizations, and a church. It's not that everyone who went to church was going there out of civic duty, but for many people, their lives revolved around belonging to the right clubs. That's just what you did. And they started going to church because that was the club you joined to go to heaven. And people's lives were changed. Many people's lives were changed because they showed up to church because it was the thing to do. And that's where God grabs a hold of people, is in the walls of the church. The church at one time reached people by looking a bit like a spiritual version of many of the social groups around it. Now it is sure that churches everywhere are smaller than they used to be, but so are other organizations that blossomed in the middle of the last century. I did a little research this week and found out that Rotary Clubs and ethnic organizations and other sort of clubs are struggling with membership in much the same way that traditional churches are. It's not just the church that is struggling with membership. That's just not how most people move about their lives anymore. We can't rely on people coming into church to fulfill a duty anymore. We can't expect people to join us here on Sunday mornings because it looks good for their public profile. That absolutely does not mean that the church isn't relevant anymore. It absolutely does not mean that God's message is any less powerful. It just means that the tools we use to express that message need to change if we are going to see the gospel reach beyond these walls. If our church is about getting new members to rebuild what we had in the past, we're sunk. We might as well just pack up now. We're sunk because it's just not going to work in today's culture, and we're sunk because that's not what this is about anyway. It never, ever was. When we focus on method over mission, we lose our identity. What we have seen time and time again in the book of Acts is that what church is first and foremost is a community, a community of those whose mission is to spread the gospel for the glory of God. It is about family and invitation and coming together in love and compassion to seek God's will in the world. So who are those people around us and how do we show them love and community in a way that they will both notice and be drawn to? How can we express God's goodness in love and community to the people around us? In his preaching in this passage, Paul quotes Isaiah 6 when he says that there are people who will see and hear and never actually get it. He is quoting the same prophet who later says that there is food and water for everyone who comes thirsty or hungry to the feet of God. It doesn't say how they have to come to the feet of God. This is the same prophet who says that God's glory will be spread to people that they don't even know yet. The people are called not to the same old, same old, but to proclaim God's mercy and grace 
and goodness and glory to people they don't even know, and those people will come flocking to God's community. So what is that nation that we don't know? How do we proclaim to them God's glory in a way that will make them run to the doors of the church? It's not always the people we're looking for or expecting who need to hear the message the most right now. My family and I went to Kennywood yesterday. And I, like any good Pittsburgher, love going to Kennywood. I have loved Kennywood as long as I can remember. I love the history of it. I love its charm. I love being there with family. I love watching it change over the years. I was one of those people who had a very strong opinion about bringing back the whale mouth entrance to Noah's Ark, and they did the right thing, for the record, in bringing that back. This park is an establishment in the history and culture of Pittsburgh. I mean, this city was home to the inventor of the Ferris wheel, so of course amusement parks are built into the DNA of Pittsburgh. While we were there, I noticed the shirts that the staff were wearing. They said Kennywood, established 1898. And I thought, well, it's right around the time that this church was getting going. And I looked around me, and that place is still packed. We waited in obscene lines for some of the rides. And I found that interesting, because in all my years of following amusement park history, I think at one point early on I promised to you that I would get weirder and weirder the more you got to know me, and I'm making good on that today. In all of my years of following amusement park history, one of the striking things about Kennywood is that it opened at a time when many parks were opening. They were exploding all over the city. But it's still here today, unlike many of those. One of the few contemporaries of Kennywood that is still open is Idlewild, which is up the road a bit. But most of the others have closed. Some of the ones that have closed include Calhoun, Maple Grove, Eldora, Alameda, Homestead, Oakwood, Interurban Park, Luna Park, Westview Park, Dreamland, Coney Island and Neville Island, Dream City. A bunch more opened in the 1920s, a few decades later, but most of those are also closed. As I was doing a little more reading, I was fascinated to find out that Riverview Park, which is right down the street from my house, was one of the parks in that collection that popped up around 100 years ago. And I never would have placed it in the same basket as Kennywood. But they started off relatively the same. I spend much of my time at Riverview Park, and today it bears little resemblance to Kennywood, other than it's still busy and well-traveled and well-loved. It's free to get into, it has no rides, the main attractions are hiking trails and a community pool. Now there used to be a zoo at Riverview Park, there used to be an amphitheater, a bear pit, which when I'm running past where it had been, I'm glad is no longer there. Uh, there was a merry-go-round. There was even an elk paddock. I have no idea why an elk paddock would have been such an attraction, but it was there. And none of those things are there in Riverview Park anymore. But these two parks that are very different now were started as the same general thing. They were parks for picnics and other relaxation. 
And through the years, they added and dropped features as needed to keep visitors amused and entertained and coming. And over a hundred years later, they don't bear much resemblance to one another at all anymore, other than they both survived and that they both still have the same basic mission, providing recreation and a place for community in the city. They do that in very different ways. Kennywood's website on the historical page says this, As Kennywood moves through the 21st century, it continues to keep a balance of change and preservation of tradition, which has always been important to its success. Kennywood remains one of America's finest traditional amusement parks. How do we remain one of Pittsburgh's finest Presbyterian churches without losing steam? Well, we need to keep continuing to keep a balance of change and preservation of tradition. We don't have to tear down the racer to build the sky coaster. But sometimes we might have to tear down the steel phantom to build the phantom's revenge, because let's face it, the revenge is a better coaster. But that is going to, that has to, look different than it did in the late 1800s when this church was established. It has to look different than it did in the 1950s. It has to look different than it did in the 1980s, and even different than it did in the early 2000s. I don't want to admit this any more than you do, but we're going on two decades into this new century already. And it's okay if the way we wind up living out that mission as a community winds up looking different than the way another church does. It doesn't matter if we are Kennywood or Riverview. Thrill-seeking or earthy, pricey or cheap, fast or slow, just that we maintain our mission and our identity. Regardless of what the church winds up looking like, the key is that we keep our basic mission, the one that we see the church in Acts championing, providing compassion and community to the people around us so that God might be glorified through the spread of the gospel. Anytime the actual organization of that mission gets in the way of the mission, we are in peril. But when the mission and the core identity of the church is central and based in scripture, beautiful new things start happening right and left. And friends, we are at an exciting time, a time full of creativity and imagination where we get to envision what that looks like, where we get to listen for God and what God is doing in the community and all of the beautiful things that this could wind up looking like. And so may we, like Paul, welcome all who come to us, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen.